So tonight, can you believe that 50 days ago, we met upstairs for our Passover Seder? It's been 50 days because that's the whole point of Passover is when Passover starts, you count up. It's not a count down like in a blast off at NASA. It is a count up to Shavuot. And that's what Pentecost means. Pentecost means 50. So it's 50 days between Passover and Pentecost or Pesach and Shavuot. And so Shavuot in the Hebrew means feast of weeks because you're counting weeks up until uh, until Shavuot, until Pentecost. And so if you've been um, you know, online and have followed the Coffee with Chris, you'll know for the past 50 days, I've also been doing the counting of the Omer. So it's traditional to kind of count the Omer, which was a measurement, but it was also a, a grain, because Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, Pentecost, is also a type of harvest festival. Uh, you're counting up in anticipation to the, the events of Pentecost to the harvest and to other things that happened on Pentecost, Shavuot, that we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. So in the Jewish tradition, each day deals with an attribute of God. And so we examine an attribute of God each day and try to apply that to our own lives because we want to be conformed into the image of Messiah Yeshua, which is the living manifestation, the physical manifestation of God himself. And so we count up to Shavuot, also kind of refining our, our, ourselves, refining our spirits as we go along. So here we are, we find ourselves uh, right at sundown uh, on this day, 50 days from when we had Passover, and we're about to celebrate Shavuot or Pentecost. Now, it's a mystery to most people. Now, what I find funny or ironic, I should say, is that there's a whole denomination called the Pentecostal movement. And they just focus on Acts chapter 2. But if I bet you, if you sat down and really grilled them on what Pentecost was about, they probably couldn't tell you. They probably wouldn't know enough to go back to Leviticus 23 in reading the Feast of the Lord, knowing that that is actually where Shavuot or Pentecost came from. Uh, they would mostly focus on Acts chapter 2 because of the giving of the Holy Spirit. But yes, the giving of the Holy Spirit happened on Pentecost. But something else happened on Pentecost that's related to the giving of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to get into all that. So even when you're reading Leviticus 23, it seems like Shavuot is one of the more, more mysterious feasts that there's not a lot of detail to on how to observe it. And I think the reason was is because people already knew how to observe it anyway because it was a harvest festival. And what do you do at a harvest festival? You celebrate and give thanks to God for the harvest that has come in. So it's like, it's like a time of thanksgiving. So whenever uh, uh, Shavuot happened or this harvest festival happened, you can kind of see in the book of Ruth where Boaz was a very rich landowner. And so he had a lot of land, and he would treat his servants very, very well. He would have a feast for them. They would just laugh and enjoy themselves and enjoy the fruits of the labor and of the harvest. He would give them gifts, and it was just a special time. So people were already knowing how to celebrate Shavuot. They would have a big get-together, a big meal, a big feast. So in Leviticus 23, there's not a lot of details. It just tells us to count up to it and to observe it. And so even in Judaism... There's not like, it's not like really a big deal like Passover or Yom Kippur or even Hanukkah. Um, yes, they meet at synagogue. 
They recite prayers, they read over some liturgy and some special scripture passages for that particular day, and maybe the rabbi will say a few words. Uh, but other than that, um, it, it's, it's kind of a mysterious, uh, underrated, um, not really much known about holiday or Feast of the Lord. So today, or this evening rather, I'm going to be connecting the dots for you. Now, I don't know if they still make those in coloring books, but I used to love the little connect the dots. You, you, you kind of knew what the picture was, especially if half of it was drawn for you. You might have a little couple fluffy ears, and you're like, okay, I bet that's going to be a dog, right? And so you start connecting the dots, and sure enough, it's a puppy or, or whatnot. So scripturally speaking, I'm going to connect the dots from the very beginning, from even before God announced that there was going to be a Shavuot, a Pentecost, to Pentecost itself in Leviticus 23, to how it relates to Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to kind of be all over the scriptures tonight. So we're going to start in a very unexpected place, a weird place, in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Now, obviously, this was before Leviticus 23, before all the feasts of the Lord. But Genesis 11 has a deep connection to Pentecost, to Shavuot. And we're going to see why here in just a minute. So. In Leviticus chapter, or in Genesis chapter 11, is the story of the Tower of Babel. And it says, Now the entire earth had the same language, with the same vocabulary. When they traveled eastward, they found a valley plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them until they're hard. So they used bricks for stone and tar for the mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower whose top reaches into heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves or else we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They were in utter rebellion against God because God said, be fruitful and multiply and scatter all over the earth. And they said, eh, we're kind of down with the be fruitful and multiply, but we're pretty content staying put. Now, a lot of people think, oh, how foolish these, these, these people were, thinking that they could build a tower up to heaven. Well, it's not necessarily that they were building a tower up to heaven thinking that they could literally reach heaven. But what they were doing was building an artificial mountain because mountains is where it was believed that the gods resided, because where the gods lived, because mountains were the place where heaven uh, touched earth. And so when the... Fallen angels fell, they fell to Mount Hermon and scattered all over the earth and took responsibility for different people groups and they made mountains their Mount Olympus, their palace. You even see that in Greek Greek mythology, Mount Olympus, that's where the gods resided, right? It goes all the way back to here, the, the fall of the uh, angels and the Tower of Babel. So what they were doing is building an artificial mountain to attract the gods. They were also building an astrological calendar sort of like Stonehenge, the fancier version of Stonehenge. And they were actually trying to build um, an artificial mountain that would create a portal that would open up heaven so that the gods, the fallen angels, would be able to come down and commune with them and visit them. Because this had already been happening prior to Genesis 11 because the gods, quote unquote, little Gs, the gods, which are the fallen angels, cohabitated with the women and created the Nephilim, these giants. And so uh, that's kind of what the Tower of Babel was all about. Then it says in verse 5, Then Adonai, that is the Lord, came down to see the city. It's interesting that the Lord came down. 
because all these fallen angels, these gods were coming down and visiting man. So it's interesting that it says God, who is a spirit and doesn't have a body, but yet it said he came down to see what was going on. I believe he came in the form of pre-incarnate Messiah Yeshua because Yeshua is his manifest presence on earth. Then Adonai came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of man had built. And Adonai said, look, the people are one and all of them have the same language. So this is what they have begun to do. Now nothing they plan will be impossible. Come, let us. So here God is referring to the Godhead. He says, let us. Now God is not, he doesn't have multiple personality disorder. God is a triune being, just as we are body, soul, and spirit. He is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Not only that, but the us could also be referring to the angels that did not rebel, which would be the heavenly, divine, heavenly council that we read about in one of the Psalms. So it says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other's language. So Adonai scattered them from all over the face of the, uh, of the earth and the, or the entire land, and they stopped building the city. This is why it's named Babel, because Adonai confused the languages and the entire world there. From there, or from, from there Adonai scattered them all over the face of the world. If you're not, okay, you're going to be fruitful and multiply, but if you're not going to scatter all over the world, I'm going to make you scatter all over the world. So he con confounded and confused the languages so that people found each other that spoke the same language and they decided to be people groups together. And that's why we have all the different languages of the world. So the confusion of the languages happened at Babel. But what occurred at Babel was reversed in Acts chapter 2. So let's turn there. In Acts chapter 2, we see a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where the ungodly sons of men were scattered all over the earth. We see in Acts chapter 2 that the ungodly men were all gathered into one place again here in Jerusalem. And we see that they were scattered because there was a confounding of the languages. But when the Holy Spirit came, there was the ability for each person to understand the gospel, the good news, God's word, they were able to hear it in their own language. So in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says, Then the day of Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, had come. They were all together in one place. Because if it's a feast of the Lord, we're always commanded to be together and to celebrate it with one another. Suddenly, there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like fire uh, spread out and appeared unto them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, that is the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak. Now this is earthly languages. Now I'm sure that everybody there at the Feast of Shavuot was probably could speak Hebrew could speak Aramaic, maybe you had a few that could speak Greek, but mostly it was Aramaic and Hebrew. But it said that they were able to speak with different tongues. Now I know the Pentecost believe it's a heavenly language, and I'm not doubting that there is a heavenly language because I had a dream one night. I've been able to pray and speak in tongues for many, many years, but I've kind of doubted my ability. I kind of doubted what I was doing. I can't understand it, it doesn't make sense to me. Lord, is this real? Am I being bamboozled by the enemy? Well, in, I was attacked by a demonic entity in my dream, and this 
entity started coming towards me and I knew it wanted to do me harm. And I started praying in tongues in my sleep, in my dream. And that entity put its hands over its ears and, scrunt and, and crouched down on its knees and had a painful look on its face. And it said, I haven't heard my native tongue in eons. And I was thinking, oh my word, you're probably a fallen angel. So maybe there is an angelic language. Maybe there is a heavenly language. So I'm not discounting that. But here in Acts chapter 2, it's clearly talking about earthly languages, not heavenly languages. So it said, and tongues like fire spread out, uh, uh, spread out, appeared to them and settled on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, uh, uh, glossa in the Greek, which is earthly languages, as the Ruach enabled them to, to speak out. Now, Jewish people were staying in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So we know during the Babylonian captivity that Jews were scattered all over, the Assyrian captivity that ten tribes were scattered all over. Some of those who still understand and knew who they were and their origins came back to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And so they probably knew a little bit of Hebrew, but they probably spoke the native tongue of wherever they resided, where they assimilated into. Verse 6, and when the, and when the sound came, the crowd gathered. They were bewildered because each was hearing them speaking in his own language. So here is the ability on the one hand to speak in other tongues, but there is a second ability for the hearers to hear in a tongue they can understand, which I think is interesting. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, all these are speaking, aren't they Galileans? So Galileans spoke Aramaic, probably a little bit of Hebrew. You know, they all spoke Hebrew at the synagogue. But Galilean had a specific accent, a different dialect. Um, that's how Peter was recognized during Jesus' trial and arrest. Peter was hanging out where he was being tried. And so he said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? You've got to be. Your accent gives you away, right? Uh, okay. And it says, how is it that we each hear our own birth language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and those living in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya towards Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jewish people and proselytes, that those who have converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring in our own tongues, the mighty deeds of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to each other, What does this mean? Others were poking fun, saying, They're full of sweet new wine. So we see what happened in Genesis 11, the confounding of the languages, was reversed in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit came and gave the ability to speak in other tongues and the ability for the hearers to hear in their own native language. Now, Having a BA, a bachelor's in missions, uh, and any missionary will tell you that it is very important that whoever you're ministering to receives the word of God in their what they call their heart language. So that's why Wycliffe Bible translators and other translation ministries are working so hard to translate the word of God in different dialects. It's not just good enough to translate it into Spanish and say, here, all you Spanish speakers, because there's different dialects of Spanish. You know, uh, just like French, you know, there's Parisian French, then there's Grand Falls French, then there's Edmonton's French, 
Then there's, you know, uh, St. Leonard French. Uh, there's Quebec French. So each of these people need a Bible in their own dialect because, you know, let's... Okay, for instance, uh, I know somebody who's from Russia. They know English, so they can read the Bible in English. But when I gave them a Russian Bible, they were so excited. And they say, oh, I understand the Bible so much better, so much more. Because there's nuances that you don't understand in English if, you're, uh, for, uh, you, know, if you speak a different language. And so if you have it in your own native tongue, you're going to be able to understand it better. So God wants everybody to hear the, God's word, the good news, the gospel in their own birth language, their own heart language, even if it's a different dialect. There's Bibles being translated in languages where there's maybe only a few thousand speakers. Because those few thousand, it's so important that they hear the word of God in their own native tongue. Okay, that's a little side note there. So we have Babel, the confounding of the languages. We have Pentecost in Acts 2, the reversal of Babel. But we also see evangelism take place because what was the reason for the Holy Spirit allowing uh, the Galilean believers to speak in other tongues and for the visitors to Jerusalem for that festival to hear in their own tongue? It was for the purpose of evangelism. And we see evangelism connected to uh, Pentecost, connected to Shavuot in the book of Ruth. Because Ruth herself was a convert. Ruth herself was a proselyte. So Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. She spoke a different language. She, you know, growing up, she served different gods. But she ended up marrying a Hebrew. Because Ruth, or uh, Naomi... Uh, had a husband, they had uh, uh, two sons, and those two sons married Moabite women. One married Ruth, and the other married a woman named Orpha. Now, when uh, Naomi's husband died, and her sons died, leaving her and her daughters-in-law, widows, Naomi's like, I'm going back home. I'm going back to Judea, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And uh, he says, you know, daughters, you're still young enough. You can go and get married again, go find another husband, go back home to your father's house. There's no point in you staying with me. Even if I get married today and had kids tomorrow, you know, are you going to wait around for them to grow up to marry them? Come on. So Orpha's like, okay. Ruth said, no way. Ruth said, I'm going to go where you go. Your God is going to be God, my God. Your people will be my people. So in Ruth <clears throat> chapter one says, it came to pass in the days when judges were governing, there was a famine in the land. And a man went from the town of Bethlehem into Judah, in Judah, to dwell in the region of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, um, and his wife's name, Naomi. And they had two sons named Mahlon and Chilon. They were uh, Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judea. They came to the region of Moab and remained there. So the only reason that they left was because of a famine. Then Naomi's husband Elimelech died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One was named Orpha, the second was named Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years, so a decade. Then those two, Malon and Chilion, also died. So the woman was left without children and her husband. Then she got up along with her daughters-in-law to return from the region of Moab because in the region of Moab she had heard that Adonai had taken note of his people and have given them food. So she left the place where she was along with her two daughters-in-law, and they started out on the road to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, 
Return, each of you, to your mother's house. May Adonai show you the same kindness that you have shown to the dead and to me. May Adonai grant you and grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her own husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will return with you to your people. Now Naomi said, go back, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Do I have more sons in my womb who, I can, who can become your husbands? Go home, my daughters. I am too old to have a husband. Even if, I were to, even if I were to say that there was hope for me and I could get married tonight and then bear sons, would you wait for them to grow up? Would you therefore um, hold off getting married? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you, for the hand of Adonai has gone out against me. Again, they broke out into loud weeping. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return along with your sister-in-law. Ruth, Ruth replied, do not plead with me to abandon you, to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Adonai deal with me and worse if anything but death comes between me and you. When she saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she no longer spoke to Ruth about it. So Ruth was a Moabite, but it looks like she converted to Judaism. Looks like she accepted the God of Israel as her God. Now, we actually see uh, Ruth in the New Testament, in the Renewed Covenant. We find it in Matthew chapter 1 in the lineage of Messiah Yeshua himself. So it's interesting that there are two Gentile women found in Jesus' lineage. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's a descendant of King David. That's why Jesus is king. That's why he's going to inherit the throne and rule the world one day. But there's two Gentile women in his lineage. Ruth was one, and Rahab, the harlot, was the other. So in <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogies of Yeshua Hamashiach ben David, Jesus the Christ, the son of David, ben Abraham, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah, and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez follow, uh, fathered Herzon. Herzon fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nachshon. Now, Nachshon, interesting. Just a little brief little note on Nachshon, because this is according to rabbinic tradition. Nachshon, he lived during the Exodus. So when they were leaving and they hit the Red Sea, and the Lord said, start moving, go, go across the Red Sea. I'm going to split it. Everybody else was waiting on shore. Well, I ain't going to move until this thing splits. Nakshon said, I'm going. And Nakshon waited up till his eyeballs, and then the sea split. So he's deemed as a very righteous man of faith, believing that God was going to do what he's going to do. Now, again, that's just tradition, but I think it's pretty cool. So it says, Nakshon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz is the guy that we see in the book of Ruth. And it says, um, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David the king. 
All right, so we'll just stop right there. So we see one aspect of Pentecost where it's about the confounding of the languages, the reversal of the confounding of the languages, and it's about evangelizing those who had their languages confounded and brought back into the fold of God through the Holy Spirit and the reversal of the languages, so much so that we even see Gentiles in the lineage of Messiah Yeshua himself. Now, a second aspect of Pentecost, a second aspect of Shavuot, was the giving of the Torah, the giving of the five books of the law, or the five books of Moses, some people call them. So in Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 16. <clears throat> now pay careful attention to the verbiage and the language and to the pictures that are given in Exodus 19, because we're going to see this duplicated in Acts chapter 2. So you're going to see a direct connection between the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Holy Spirit, the giving of God's law and the giving of the Holy Spirit and the ability to speak in tongues. So it says in Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 16, in the morning, on the third day, there was thundering. Now, this word thundering in the Hebrew is the same word as voices. Voices. So it's as if the people were hearing voices, not just thunder. Some translations even say voices. In the morning, there, on the third day, there was thundering and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and the blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. Now, we know a shofar is a ram's horn. What does it take to blow a ram's horn? A mighty rushing wind, a breath. So you can already see some connections between Exodus 19 and Acts chapter 2. Because you have the tongues, the voices, or the thunderings, and you have the mighty rushing wind, the blowing of the shofar. Uh, okay, then it says, all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now, again, it's a mountain. God is on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. False gods occupied other mountains. The Tower of Babel was an artificial mountain. So, again, we see connections even with Exodus 19 to Genesis uh, chapter 11. Now, the entire mountain Sinai was in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Okay, we're seeing fire in Exodus 19. We also see fire in Acts chapter 2. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunderous sound. All right. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And, and you know, this, what we're talking about did not get past the Galilean believers that were celebrating Shavuot. When they saw all this happen, the mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire, they immediately thought of Exodus chapter 19. Because not only were they celebrating a harvest festival, they were celebrating the giving of the Torah. And so the giving of the Torah, these things happened there, were duplicated in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, we'll just go ahead and read it again. When the day of Shavuot, which is a harvest festival, which was also the day when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, when the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place, just like all the Israelites were in one place at the bottom of Mount Sinai. 
Now, it's said that they were in the upper room where the Passover took place, right? So the upper room is an elevated place like a mountain is an elevated place, like a Tower of Babel was an elevated place. Suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Okay, that's related to the sound of the shofar. Because even if you don't blow a ram's horn, if the wind is blowing pretty intensely, you can actually hear the wind whistle. Yeah. Suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Sinai was filled with smoke. This mighty rushing wind filled the whole house. And tongues like fire spread out to appear to them and settled on each of them. What does it say that God descended on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke? So this did not, you know, this was not lost on the believers. They were filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak out. Now at Sinai, they heard thunderings, that is, voices. Now why would they hear voices? Because all Israel spoke long, long, one language. They heard voices because it wasn't just Israel that was there at the mountain. It was the mixed multitude. It was those who left Egypt with Israel. So they spoke Egyptian and Canaanite languages and all this other stuff. So they probably heard the voice of God in their own language. And it's been translated as thunderings. But uh, an acceptable, equal, correct translation would be voices. So just as they heard voices or other tongues, other languages at Sinai, so the same thing happened in Acts chapter 2. Uh, okay. Now the Jewish people were staying in Jerusalem, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when the sound came, the crowd gathered. Because whenever you hear a noise, you want to investigate where it came from and what it was all about, right? They were bewildered because each of them were hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, all these who are speaking, aren't they Galileans? How is it that we each hear in our own birth language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those living in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. Speaking of Egypt, just a little quick side note. We know that Jesus spoke Aramaic. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's Aramaic from the cross. We know that he spoke Hebrew because he was Jewish. They spoke Hebrew in synagogues. But up until his toddler years, he lived in Egypt. So he probably could speak Egyptian too. And parts of Libya toward Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jewish people and proselytes, that is converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring in our own tongues the mighty deeds of God. Just as the mixed multitude heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language at Sinai in the thundering slash voices. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to each other, what does this mean? Others poking fun were saying, they're full of sweet new wine. Uh, so we see a connection between uh, Exodus 19 and Acts chapter 2. So there was the giving of the Torah, which is what part of the celebration of Shavuot, Pentecost, is all about. And then we now have the giving of the Holy Spirit. How can we understand God's laws if we don't have the Holy Spirit living within us to interpret them? Because the, the, the scriptures also say that you have the Holy Spirit, you need no man teach you. So if, if, if the Holy Spirit is living inside you and when you get saved, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you, you get filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. 
There's other denominations say it happens later. But if you have Jesus living in you, the Spirit of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living in you too. And so the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, the Scripture says. All right. So now let's try to wrap this up in a nice little bow and go to Leviticus 23 where we read about the command to celebrate Shavuot or Pentecost. So in Leviticus chapter 23, which is the chapter of God's calendar, let's start at... Let's start at verse 15. So this is after Passover. And it says, Then you are to count from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the Omer and the wave offering, seven complete Sabbaths. So that's why it's called the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, because you're counting seven weeks. Until the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, you are to count 50 days. That's where the word Pentecost comes from, 50. 50 days. And then present a new grain offering to Adonai. You are to bring out of your house two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two-tenths of an ephah fine flour. They are to be baked with chametz. So that's with leaven, which is opposite of what you did at Passover. Passover, you had unleavened bread. And at Pentecost you're allowed and specifically commanded to have bread with yeast in it. Uh, they are to be baked with hametz as a first fruits to Adonai. You are to present it along with the bread, um, seven one-year-old lambs without blemish, one young bull, and two rams. They will become a burnt offering to Adonai with their meal offering and their drink offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Also, you are to offer one male goat for a sin offering and a pair of year-old male lambs for a sacrifice of fellowship offerings, or otherwise known as a peace offering. The Kohen, that is the priest, is to wave them with the bread of the first fruit as a wave offering uh, before Adonai with the two lambs, and they shall be holy, set apart to Adonai for the priest, for the Kohen. In other words, that's his share. You are to make a proclamation on the same day that there is to be a holy convocation. That's what we're doing here. We're fulfilling the commandment of a holy convocation as it's commanded in Scripture. You are to do no regular work. This is a statute forever, which means Shavuot, Pentecost, is never going to go away. You know, just because Jesus came and died on the cross doesn't mean we stop celebrating Shavuot. Even after Jesus died, they were celebrating Shavuot in Acts chapter 2. So why wouldn't we be doing the same? This is a statute forever in all your dwellings. In other words, no matter where you live. Whether you live in Israel, whether you live in Plasterock, New Brunswick, Canada, whether you live in Phrygia, Pamphylia, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Arabia. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the furthest corners of your field. Huh. Huh. That's interesting. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the furthest corners of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Rather, you are to leave them for the poor and for the outsider, for I am Adonai, your God. All right. Those, verse 22. want to focus on that as we turn back to Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to see how all this fits in. So uh, Ruth chapter 2. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from Elimelech's family, a prominent man of substance whose name was Boaz. 
Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go out to the field and glean grain from behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. So in Leviticus 23, verse 22, it talks about gleaning. Naomi and Ruth were poor. They had no husband to provide for them. So they had to glean. So that's what verse 22 in Leviticus 23 is all about. And we read about this is exactly what Ruth's doing in chapter 2 of Ruth. <clears throat> Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. Just so happens that in the field of Boaz. So just by coincidence, she didn't know it was Boaz's field. And even if, it, even if she did, she had no idea that Boaz was related, to, was related to Naomi. So she found herself in Naomi's relative's field. So it says, so Ruth went out and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. She just so happened to be in the field of Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Soon after, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he said to his harvesters, Adonai be with you. And they replied, may Adonai bless you. Then Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, uh, whose young woman is this? She's a Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the region of Moab, the foreman replied. She asked, please allow me to glean and gather among the barley sheaves behind the harvesters. So she came and has been working in the field since morning until now, except for a little while in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen to me, my daughter, do not glean in any other field or even pass on from here, but stay close to my female workers. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and follow after them. I strongly ordered the young men not to touch you. When you are thirsty, you can go to the jars and drink from the water the young men have drawn. She fell down upon her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me, even though I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied and said to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left father and mother and land of your birth and came to a people you didn't know before. Oh, may Adonai repay you for what you have done. And may you be fully rewarded by Adonai, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She said, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and, and spoken kindly to your maidservant, even though I am not one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and eat some of the bread and dip your piece in the vinegar wine. She sat beside the harvesters and held out her ro and, and held out uh, to uh, roast her roasted grain. She ate until she was full and some was still left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the worker saying, let her glean from among the sheaves. So remember in Leviticus 23 where it says, don't go back to the gleanings. And don't reap to the edges of your field. Leave some of that standing. So it says, let her glean from among the sheaves. Do not humiliate her. Also be sure to pull out some grain from the sheaves and leave it behind her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So it's like drop stuff on purpose <laughs> is what he's saying. So, she, um, okay, I can, I, I'm going to stop right there. So we see uh, that in the law of Moses, in the Torah, that... Naomi was too old to get married, but Ruth was still eligible to be married. And if a brother dies, then a surviving brother, and if not a brother, a surviving relative, must marry that widow and have children in the name of that dead, that dead brother. So um, there was a kinsman redeemer that was closer, but he said, nah, I don't really want to get married. 
you can go ahead and do you can go ahead and marry the woman so boaz became her kinsman redeemer and married ruth and inherited elimelech's property and through ruth as we read in matthew chapter 1 came messiah yeshua i think that is such a beautiful beautiful uh, uh picture and passage so shavayot from genesis to matthew we spanned almost the entire scripture just focusing on one feast of the Lord. That's really not talked about a lot. So I'm hoping that as we jumped around scriptures, I was able to connect the dots and you can see a fuller picture of what Shavuot and Pentecost is all about. Now, I guarantee you, you've received a greater education on what Pentecost is about than what Pentecostals themselves know about Pentecost. I guarantee it. They don't know the stuff I just told you. If they did, they're, they're not connecting the dots like we connected them here. So um, maybe we'll do something different next year now that you have a good foundation of what Pentecost is all about. So, you know, we might try a little things differently because really the Bible is leaving it open for us to really celebrate in a way that's comfortable for us. There's a few commandments meeting together, you know, celebrating harvest and things like that. But uh, we, we can, you know, we can just kind of um, explore that as the year progresses until next time. So uh, we'll go ahead and close with a word of prayer and then have one last hymn afterwards. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I mean, Genesis to the book of Ruth, to the book of Matthew, even to the book of Acts, spanning almost the whole Bible, thousands and thousands of years, just that thread of the Feast of Shavuot, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks alone is a continuous thread through the scripture that links together and fits so well like a puzzle. The dots connect and creates a beautiful mosaic, a beautiful picture. And we thank you so much that we thank you so much for the giving of your law. If you didn't give us the law, we would not know how to worship you, how to please you, have a personal relationship with you. And it was through the law came the living manifestation of that law, which is Messiah Yeshua himself which came from a Moabite woman who was gleaning during the time of Shavuot. It's so crazy. And how your Holy Spirit connects us. Even though we have believers that are speaking different languages all over the world, if there was a whole bunch of believers that spoke different languages in the same room, we may not be able to understand each other, but our hearts would understand each other because we each have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and we could worship beautifully to whatever music or whatever language the music is in spirit and in truth because we all worship the same god we all have the same holy spirit so awesome lord your word is so awesome how can anybody deny its truth how can anybody deny its intricacy how can anybody deny its divine inspiration uh, so lord thank you so much for revealing yourself through your word and showing us what shavuot what pentecost is all about we love you and we praise you, and we ask these things and give thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen.